Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to come to you in prayer. Thank you, God, for the words that we have. And thank you for being such a wonderful Savior, God. And thank you for the assurance that we have in you, uh, what your word says, God. We thank you, God, for uh, your love, how it never fails, never gives up on us, God. And we thank you for the opportunity, God, to worship you in song, to worship you in communion, God. And I pray, God, that you worship you in the word right now, that you would be with us. Show us what you would have us to know about ourselves. Show us what you would have us to know about you, God. That we, we may be strengthened by your word. We might be sanctified by your word. Do the same All right. Uh, thank the Lord for uh, Brother Maria last week uh, bringing the word of God. I was able to hear through the new technology. They want to check out our new podcast. But yeah, uh, I, I was able to hear it um, through the podcast, and um, uh, uh, thank you, Lord. I'm mean, thank you, brother, for thank the Lord for the Word of God. I was constantly preached here. It was very encouraging. It felt very powerful. Uh, ready to let the word out and let it. I think, he, I think he said, "Let it do what it do." Did he say that? Did he, was that a quote? Let it do what it do. <laughs> that was a body of quote. Let it do its job. Do its job. That's how I interpret it. All right. So we've been looking at the word of God in relation to uh, the body of Christ, and um, we have one more. I don't know if it's one more. We might just keep going with it. Uh, <laughs> part in the series. Turn me to John chapter 17. So I was thinking of, we've been talking about the word of God. We've been talking about uh, the importance of the word, accuracy, self-sufficiency, uh, inerrancy. We've been talking about the power of the word of God. We've been talking about the struggle. Uh, Brother Fadiya brought last week about how uh, the word of God has been an attack year after year after year, generation after generation, because of uh, its content because of its power. And so the question becomes, okay, we've been talking about the word of God for about six weeks now. What, what do we do now? What is our responsibility? What is our focus based on the word of God? And so I was reading through scriptures and I was reading through John chapter 17. In John uh, chapter 17, we have the Lord's Prayer. A lot of people say that uh, the Lord's Prayer, our Father God in heaven, hallowed be that name. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciple that asked him, How do we pray? And so he told him, he was telling them how to pray. The finish is the disciples' prayer. John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus actually prayed. And it's interesting, this is near the time of Calvary, near the time of his ministry was uh, almost over. And so as he was about to go and die for us, he stopped and he prayed. And in John chapter 17, uh, John recorded what Jesus prayed uh, during that time. So we'll be in John chapter 17 looking at starting somewhere around verse 13. And so basically what we're looking at in light of all we discussed in turn the word of God, what is its effect? What is the word of God's effect on our lives individually? And what is the word of God, word of God, uh, effect on our lives as the body? And what we're going to see today is that there is some conflict there. 
the word of God versus the world. Conflict there. So let's look at that. Uh, first, uh, regular John, St. John, chapter 17, starting at verse uh, 13. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. Praying for us. Verse 14, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of this world, as I am not of this world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I really like verse 20. I pray not only for these, talking about his 12 disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, bless thank you for the reading of the word. What Jesus is talking to uh, uh, the Father about is he's preparing his disciples, preparing us for what's about to happen after he leaves. And so he's praying for us. And this is a good example to us. As Jesus prayed for us, we should pray for others. Pray for our friends, pray for our family, pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But in Jesus' prayer, he gives us some, not, some nuggets of truth, some wisdom as to what's really going on. He says in verse 13, Now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy complete in them. I have given them your word. And right after that he says, the world hates them. The word of God, the scriptures, the Bible, is what distinguishes us from the world. Distinguishes us from any religion. Distinguishes us from any uh, uh, psychological or philosophical thought, we as the body of Christ are distinguished by this right here, the word of God. And because of that, because of the distinguishing content or elements of the word of God, the Bible says, Jesus says, and the world hates them. This is what distinguishes us from anyone else. Uh, uh, now when we talk about the world, say what are we talking about? Our friend, they hate us. The world, when we look at the Bible, the original word there is cosmos. It has an idea to do with the world system. So the system of the world. Um, the reason why I saw this was kind of interesting. The whole, the cosmos of the world in the scripture refers to the whole mass of unregenerated sinners, alienated from God, hostile to Christ, and organized governmentally as a system or federation under Satan. The world system. So anything that's alienated from God, anything that's hostile to God, or hostile to Christ, anything that's under the rule and the guise of Satan is the world. And so as we read it today, we're going to talk about the world, the world, the world. We're talking about the world system. Those things that are set up against God. 
Jesus said that because I have given them your word, they are going to be hated. This is what sets us apart. Uh, uh, it, it distinguishes us. I think about our, our, our military. In the military, they wear, uh, I just can't go to the military and go to war and throw on this shirt and these pants and let's go. Let's get it. It's not going to happen. I have to put on a uniform. The uniform that I put on, I have to put on for the right particular thing, right? I know there are different uniforms uh, 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 that, that you put on. Is it the blues? Or is it the blues? They're blues. And then it's the camouflage kind And then it's the, then it's the clean. Oh, the fatigue. Okay, all right, all right. So, so those, those, those uniforms, the uniforms will set them apart. If I see somebody walking around in a uniform, I say, okay, that's not a regular guy like me, that's a soldier, that's a Marine. Why? Because the uniform is what sets them apart. Uh, even in the uniform, uh, uh, the, the, the branches of the military, each country has their own like weapon that distinguishes them, that sets them apart. You know, I think it used to be the M16 for us, and there's like the M4. It's a weapon that you see that weapon, okay, that's a, that's a weapon that we use, that America uses. Uh, 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 in, the, in the, just finished watching Olympics, you know, I watched the Olympics? After watching the Olympics, uh, each country has people represented. And after they win their gold, they stand on the stage, and what do they raise up? A flag. And every country has a distinguished flag, and they're all the same. The flags are distinguished that you know, hey, this guy is representing this flag, which represents this country. And so there are certain things in the world that distinguishes us or sets us apart from other things. For the body of Christ, this is what it is right here, the word of God. This is what sets us apart. It distinguishes us from everyone else. What's interesting about it is the word of God is it had, and Faria talked about it a, a few weeks ago, some of the things, some of the characteristics the Bible has, uh, uh, what makes it so unique, what makes it so that for years and years people have been trying to um, fight the word or, or trying to bring cause against the word or trying to bring adversity against the word of God, trying to disprove it over and over again. Why? Because it says some things that aren't comfortable. And so... What we know about the word, written over thousands and thousands of years, over 40 different authors, uh, uh, um, there's nothing, there's never been an archaeological find, archaeological find, a scientific discovery, any of those things that have ever disproved anything about it. <laughs> yeah, and people trying. They're trying to find something to disprove the Bible. But year after year after year after year after year, there's nothing that anyone finds scientifically when they go digging up the dirt in the Middle East. Anything they find, nothing they find go against this Word of God. Uh, I was looking at some other things about the Word of God, how that um, when you look at old manuscripts and, and the way they tell if a manuscript is good or not is they look at how many copies they have. And so, you know, if there's a copy of this book right here, and I say, you know, this is the United Methodist Hymnal, and there's another copy. I can compare these copies and see if they're pretty much alike. So if it's pretty much alike, I say, okay, that's probably what was originally written. Now, if I had three copies of it, I can compare all three. If I had four copies, I could compare four and say, okay, yeah, those four are pretty much the same. And that's how they do when they look at ancient manuscripts. One of the uh, ancient manuscripts that they have is a book written about Alexander the Great. And they have found 400 copies 
of this book written by Alexander the Great many, many years ago. And when they found forged copies, they said, oh my goodness, this must be really true. This must be really what was actually written because we got 400 copies of this thing and it's all pretty much saying the same thing. And man, they got excited, they stepped their flag, they got excited, they started printing it and started saying, this is what we can teach you now about Alexander the Great because man, we got 400 old copies of what this guy did. So they're very excited about that. Guess how many manuscripts of the Bible we found? A little bit more. 25,000 manuscripts. Imagine me holding 25,000 hymns right in front of me. That's what they were able to find and compare. And in comparing those 25,000 manuscripts, they found that the accuracy was incredible. Unbelievable. The other thing they found was that, the other thing they looked at when they looked at, you know, okay, let's check this old manuscript if it's good or not. They say, okay, how much time between when it, the actual events happened and then the first time somebody went to death? So you go back to Alexander the Great. Everything we know about Alexander the Great was written by this guy named, I think it was Pliny. Everything we know about Alexander the Great was written. And so when they look back, they say, okay, we found when it was written. Alexander the Great lived and did these things at this date. And 400 years later, Somebody wrote it down. And so there's 400 years between the time when he actually did it. Nobody wrote nothing about it until somebody wrote it down 400 years. And when the archaeologists found that and the old manuscript people found that, they were like, oh my goodness, this is incredible, man. There's only 400 years between the time it actually happened and the time somebody wrote it down. That's incredible. This is exciting. Hey, let's start teaching in school. This is what happened to Alexander the Great. Everybody's excited about it. Then they start doing it with the Bible. It's okay, let's find out this thing called Jesus. How long between Jesus was walking around and stuff happened and somebody actually wrote it down? And they tested it out and guess what they found out? We're talking less than 25 years. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about who I delivered unto you, who was first given unto me, how the Christ died by sin according to scripture, and then buried and rose again. Just taking that portion of scripture goes back to, Paul says, I wrote to you what was written to me. He wrote it around, uh, I can't remember the actual date he actually wrote it. But you take it from when he wrote it to when he heard it. Because he heard it from Peter and John when he was in Jerusalem. To back when Peter and John actually saw it happen. To back when it happened. And when you look at that, you're talking about a three to five year period there. After Jesus died. When people are already saying this stuff happened. And so the point is... This thing right here, the word of God, why it's so incredible is because as they try year after year and generation after generation to disprove it, as they try to say, oh, it's just a book of old tales, oh, it's just a book that a man wrote, oh, that means absolutely nothing, year after year, the Bible stands for all the criticism because it's true. And what's interesting is that as we can show that everything that we can test scientifically, everything that we can look at archaeologically, I don't even know that's a word. Because, of its, because it's re, uh, reliable on those counts, it's further proof that it's reliable on those things you can't test. Further proof that it's reliable on the spiritual things that it points out to. And so because of that, this Bible, it distinguishes us from everyone else. And because of that, the world hates us. And you look at that word hate, that word hate there has the idea of detest or to denounce or to criticize harshly. The word has nothing to do with that. 
Why? Because of the exclusivity of the word. I practice that. The exclusivity of the word. The word of God is exclusive. It says some things that it says this is it. This is one way. There's only one way. And it comes to the salvation. And the message of exclusive salvation is repugnant to those who do not believe. Well, the Bible says some things that are offensive. The Bible says some things that are distasteful. The Bible says some things that are obnoxious. The Bible says some things that are shocking. And because of that, the world hates it. The reason why is because the Bible, the Word of God, tells the truth. And it tells the truth about everything. The Word of God tells the truth about God. So no matter what you believe about God or what you want to believe about God, all that means nothing compared to whatever the Word of God says to that. The Word of God says the truth about me. So regardless of how I feel about myself, regardless of how others view me, the Word of God tells me the truth about me. The Word of God tells us the truth about sin. So regardless of what you think is sin and what you think is all right to do and what you think I can do and get away with, it doesn't matter because the Word of God says this is what sin is. The word of God tells the truth about right and wrong. So because the word of God tells the truth about right and wrong, it does not matter what you think is right. It does not matter what you think is wrong. Because the word of God is where the right and wrong is decided. And so because of that, you can see how that's obnoxious. You can see how, well, I don't want to deal with that. Because I want to do what I want to do. And I want to say what I want to say. And I want to believe what I want to believe. And I want to feel what I want to feel. And I'm a Christian. So take it to the heathen. Take it to the world. The world has its own idea of what's right and what's wrong. The world has its own idea of who God is. The world has its own idea about how they are and how they should live and move in society. But that comes in direct contrast to the word of God. The gospel message is a message of conflict. It rebukes, it criticizes, it accuses the world System. The gospel message says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the Bible says that no matter how good you try to do, no matter the good things you try to do, they're all filthy, stinking, bloody, dirty rags. That's what the Bible says. And so because of that, all the good I do, well, I've got some things together and we send some money down to help the uh, people in Louisiana flooding. Well, why go out and I help people do this and do that? That's all good and uh, uh, fine and dandy, but the Bible says that if you are not blood-bought, if you are not submitted to the message of the cross, then all that stuff means absolutely nothing. And so the word of God is offensive. It's distasteful. It's a message of conflict. It tells us that, hey, the path that you're going down, sinner, is wrong. And if you go down that path, continue, the wrath of God is going to be on you, and you're going to end up burning in hell forever and ever. Nobody wants to be burning in hell for No, it's not a fun thing. Nobody wants the wrath of an almighty, all-powerful God upon them. And so that is in conflict. They don't like that. The message is conflict. Jesus said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. They have this thing that separates them, that distinguishes them, which is the word of God. Because of that, Conflict, because of this obnoxious word, because of this uh, offensive and distasteful word to the world, the world 
hates it. And they're in disagreement. They try to stay away from it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want anything to do with you because of the fact that you say, I stand on and I believe this word. And so they try to make jokes about it. They try to dismiss it. They try to act like it's a fairy tale. All these things try to lie because of the conflict of what the word of God actually says. Jesus said in John 17, 14, I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. The problem is in the body of Christ, what's our response to that? That's what we're talking about today. We got the word of God. What's my response to that? My response to that is that I continue to remain true to the word of God. I continue to present the word of God as the word of God says, and I do not compromise it. So a lot of the problems that happen today in our own lives and in the life of the body of Christ in general is that we're trying to compromise the word of God. The word of God is offensive, so let's not be offensive. We don't want to offend anybody, so let's not say that. You know, the word of God is distasteful, and so let's think of ways to make it tasteful. What can we do to make the word of God tasteful so that people will want to hear? That goes in complete contrast to what Jesus said. Jesus said the world is going to hate you because you are distinguished by this word and this word is in conflict. Woe to those who try to alter the word of God. To those who try to soften the word of God. To those who try to compromise the word of God in an effort to make a truce with all that it opposes. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. The word of God is in direct contrast to the world system because of what it says, because it says the truth. And so as I bring the word, as I preach the word, as I stand on the word, as I follow the word, as I obey the word, I have to make sure that I am obeying, following, preaching, teaching, listening to, reading, representing the true word of God, not a watered-down, compromised version of it. Because that goes against what the Bible says. Uh, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul is talking. He starts off with the gospel is, Paul, an apostle, not of men, or, or by men, but of Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our Father, of God our Father, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul quickly in the first uh, 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 five verses brings the gospel message. He tells you who he is and where he's from, what he's about. Jesus Christ raised him from the dead. So he talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Grace and peace to you, who gave himself, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, so we sin, we do things, we miss the mark, we disobey God, to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of the Father. So we already talked about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. We talked about sin, because of our sin, Christ had to do that to rescue us. So we are, need to be rescued. That means we're going the wrong way, or we're drowning, or we're dying. Okay? The gospel message, that's what the gospel message is, wrapped up in I am amazed, verse 6, that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Okay. So Paul talks about the gospel in the first five chapters. Conflict. It's not fun. We are sinners. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued. Okay. And because of that, Jesus died a bloody, glory death, and he rose again so that you can be saved from your sins because you're going the wrong way. 
Paul says in verse 6, some of you are starting to turn to a different gospel. But that, verse 7, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we preach to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, and I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, a curse be on him. Verse 10, for I am now, for am I now trying to win favor of people? i read it again. For am I now trying to win favor of the people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a slave to Christ. And so Paul said, listen, this gospel message that Jesus said comes from the word of God, that's in conflict with the world, that the world doesn't like. Paul says, why are you trying to win the favor of the people or trying to please people by compromising the word? Our responsibility as Christians is to not try to please people. Our responsibility is not try to win the favor of the people who aren't saved. The Bible never tells us to do that. Go out and try to make everybody happy. Try to get people excited. Try to get people in. Do whatever you can to get them in. Because once we get them in, then we can witness them. That's not what the Bible says. Paul says, why are you trying to please them? Why are you striving to do this? Don't change what the gospel is in order to please people. Um, I read this. Um, uh, 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 oh, I like these. I like the words here that Paul uses. The first one he used: Are you trying to win favor of people or persuade people? The idea is to make friends or to win one's favor or to strive to please or to excite emotionally. Paul says, "Don't try to." Excite emotionally people who try to bring in Christ. Don't try to uh, win their favor. Don't try to please them. Just tell them what the word says. Bring the unadulterated, undistorted, true gospel of God to them. What's interesting is that Romans 1.6, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. The power is in the, nat- is in the nature to create conflict and opposition. That's where the power of the word of God comes. It comes in this nature to be able to create conflict and opposition opposition, because out of conflict comes conviction. See, I want to go this way, but then there's a conflict. The conflict is that you're telling me that the way I'm going is wrong. You're telling me that the way I'm going is not of God. You're telling me that the way I'm going is going to lead me to hell. You're telling me that the way I'm going is going to continue the wrath of God to be upon me. So that doesn't feel good. So that raises some conflict. So once that conflict is raised, I learn about, through the word, that I am a sinner. I learn about that anything good I try to do is going to get me still burned up going to hell. That my goodness is filthy rags. I learn about that. I learn about the wrath of God is upon me. I learn about that I need to be saved. And because of that conflict, there is conviction. That conviction, which leads to repentance. And the repentance which leads to change. And so the word of God changes us through that conflict. And so when we try to eliminate the conflict of the word of God, when we try to eliminate the conflict of the Bible, when we try to water down or compromise the word of God, 
then the pattern isn't followed. So without conflict, no co op uh, opposition, no conviction, and no change. We need to turn from sin to holiness, or turn from concentration of self to concentration to God. Think about the woman at the well. When Jesus approached the woman at the well, he immediately entered her with conflict. Boom! He first he said, give me some water. And she was like, well, how are you going to uh, ask me water you have to drink? And Jesus said, well, if you knew what I had, what I had, you would ask, would drink, and I'll give it to you, and you never thirst again. Okay, wait a minute, conflict. What are you talking about? Immediately. Nicodemus. When Nicodemus snuck up on Jesus at night, Remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago? Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I heard you know, you're a good rabbi and you say some good things. What did the first thing Jesus said? Yeah, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Whoa, wait a minute, conflict. That's, that's not, I'm not here for that. Jesus immediately went to conflict. Why? Because the conflict of the word, that opposition, that conflict is what brings that conviction, what brings about change. Um, I read this and I did not print it out. Oh, my goodness. I did print it out. Excuse me. I want to read this briefly, if I can. This is a, um, a letter that was written. Wow. Okay. I guess I'm right What do you say? Yeah, I don't have Wi Fi on this. What is it? It's a. Uh, it's, am I saying we're pull it up quickly. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a letter that was written uh, a long time ago, and it talked about uh, compromise and how we uh, are compromising the Word of God and how the, the issues with that. Let me see. If this works, it's going to be incredible. Wow. Oh, man. Uh, I said I had notes in it for what to read because it's like 17 pages. <laughs> uh, this, yeah, this guy wrote this passage. He wrote this article. And he was talking about, uh, let me see if I can come through here. Here we go. Talking about the church. Um, amusement for the people has been the leading article in the church. Amusement of the people. Amusement, fun. Fun time, amusement. Uh, Talked about, um, if any of my readers doubt this, let them look. He, so he talked about, hey, go pull up any article and put up a church website. He didn't say website. Go pull up a church website and look at what they are advertising. He says that amusement is being advertised more than the preaching of the gospel as a great attraction. They're going to talk about concerts, talk about entertainment, talk about dramatic performance. All these things are exciting and press and, and put out there. But the preaching of the gospel is put off to the side. This is what he wrote. Providing recreation for the people will soon be looked upon as a necessary part of Christian work and as binding upon the church of God as though it was a divine command. Providing recreation for people will soon be looked upon as a necessary part of the Christian work and as binding upon the church of God as though it were a divine command. What he says is that it is only during the past few years that amusement has become a recognized weapon of our warfare and developed into a mission. There has been a steady downgrade in this respect. From speaking out, as the Puritans did, the church was gradually toned down her testimony 
then wink at and excuse uh, 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 the goings-ons of the day. Then she has tolerated them in her borders. Now she has adopted them and provided a home for them under the plea of reaching the masses and getting the ear of the people. The devil has seldom done a cleverer thing than hinting to the Church of Christ that part of her mission is to provide entertainment for the people with a view of winning them to her ranks. So what he said was, people are starting to take entertainment and amusement and trying to do that to bring people to Christ instead of the word of God. Now what's interesting about this, this was written by a man, his name is Archibald Brown. He wrote this in 1880. 1880. He says, we need to start being careful because people are starting to use entertainment to try to use and say, you know what? The gospel message is too dangerous, it's too, too grand, too, too, too offensive. So let's do something just to get the people in the doors. Let's use some amusement, some entertainment to get them in the doors. And once we get them in, then we can witness them. And he said, we need to be careful of that. That was 1880 they were doing it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I don't know what they were doing in 1880. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He said that it is uh, terribly sad, and more so because truly gracious souls, talking about the uh, unsafe folks, are being led away by specious pretext that is a form of Christian work. It's a form of Christian work. He said, pretty so he said actually, it's starting to happen in 1880. That's going to be a mission. What can we do to get people in? What can we do to get them in the door? Because once we get them in, of course, we're them. But what can we do to get them in? And he said that the word of God, the body of Christ, has started to water down for the excuse of getting people in. Then he goes on. I can, I'll put this out on the site. He goes on and talks about why this is ungodly. First, he talks about how it's not supported by Scripture. And he talks about how uh, my first contention is that providing amusement for the people is nowhere spoken of in the Holy Scripture as one of the functions of the church. <laughs> And then he goes on and talks about uh, 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 the only thing that God told us was go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every preacher, to every uh, people. He said he didn't add anything to that. He said he gave, uh, uh, <laughs> he said he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. And he said nowhere in that list does it read and public entertainers. He said, if providing recreation to be a part of Christ's work, surely we look for some promise. And he goes on and on, and, and I'm very upset because I had it, especially with the points I was going to bring out. But for some reason, I didn't bring it out to me. But the point is, he talks about that. He talks about uh, not only is it against Scripture, but he talks about that it goes against what Christ actually said. It says when we look at the Lord's teaching, look at the disciples' teaching. First of all, Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. And you think about salt. You know, who wants to take a cup of salt and put it in their mouth and eat it? Nobody. It, 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 it's, it's irritant. You know, and it, it didn't say that we are the candy. He talks about that. We are the candy of the earth. But he said that we are the, the salt of the earth. He goes on to talk about um, how Christ said his kingdom is not of this world. He goes on to talk about some good things. And then the last part, he talks about, um, let's see here, how about the apostles. And he talked about, uh, uh, in, in the first century, how that 
first of all, Pentecost was followed by plain teaching. And I thought it was interesting. You know, they came out and the Holy Ghost uh, fell. They came out and they preached. And they preached the gospel and they preached the word. And the day of Pentecost, 5,000 people got saved from the preaching of the offensive, the distasteful, the rebuking gospel. They didn't go up and say, okay, first we're going to have a or then we're going to do this. No. Peter stood up and he preached the word. He said, you killed the Messiah. Just, just, just straight to it. And after that, 5,000 were added. And the Bible says that day after day after day, they were added, added to the church. Not because of amusement, not because of entertainment, not because of any watered down version. No, because they came with the undoctrinated word. Jesus said, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of this world. Uh, he goes on to talk about uh, uh, the day of Pentecost. He talks about when Peter and John got locked up <laughs> uh, after they were preaching. And it says uh, 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 they prayed for him and he sent them back out. And it was funny. Let me see, where is it? Uh, it talks about, oh, the council came to uh, Peter and John and said, the reason we locked you up, the reason we beaten you, because you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. That's why. They were causing problems. Why? Because they were filling Jerusalem with the doctrine of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. When Philip went to Samaria, he said he preached Christ to them. That was it. The word of God. And so what do we do with this word? We need to stand by the unadulterated truth of the word of God. Um, and when we don't do that, we try to compromise it. When we look for ways to get around the offensiveness of it, then we begin to alter the word. And Paul said in Galatians, woe to anyone who tries to dilute or preach any other gospel than the gospel that is in this book. The word of God in John chapter 17, the question you know, that you would ask yourself, do I maintain a strict separation and uncompromised hostility to the world system? The Bible says he's out of the world, the world hates them. But we should also hate the world, the system we're talking about, not the people. We're talking about the world system. The Bible teaches that as the body of Christ, we should have strict separation from the world and be in uncompromised hostility with the world system. And so that's a question for me, that's a question for you. Do we constantly live in strict separation of the world? Do we constantly live in a hostile, uncompromised hostility uh, to the world? And I think about myself, do my thoughts, are my thoughts in strict separation from the world thoughts? Think about what the world thinks about. Think about uh, uh, um, the way I view the world, the way I view current situations. When things happen, do the way I view them, is that in strict separation of the world? Or is that pretty much in line with the way the world thinks? My work ethic, things I'm responsible for doing and how I do it, is that in strict separation from the world? Or do I, my work ethic, my thoughts, how I view the world, does that line up exactly what the world thinks? What I think is right or wrong, my relationships, the relationships that I'm in, do my relationships 
line up with the world or are they in strict separation with the world? Simple question is, does the world hate me? That's the question I would ask myself. Is there a conflict between me and the world? It's the world system. Or do I fall in line in pretty much every aspect of it? Jesus said that there should be a separation between us and the world because we have the word and because we are not of this world. Verse 15 says, I'm not praying that you, back in John 17, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. And in verse 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. He starts talking about sanctifying them. And the word for sanctify is, um, in the original language, it literally means, watch it now, to holy eyes. I-Z-E. It literally means to holy eyes. So, all you English ladies in here? Carol, are you an English major? I thought you were an English major. Jaden, you're an English major? <laughs> <Six minutes. laughs> are you English major in here? When you put I Z E on the word, what does that do to it? Anybody? Makes it an action. Makes it an action. Okay. Well, maybe you are. <laughs> maybe you are an English major. It, it, makes you, it makes it an action. When you put I Z E. And so the word there, the holy eyes, is to separate from the profane, to purify, to dedicate to God's use. It comes from the word holy, which means to be pure of carnality, to be chaste, to be modest, to be pure, to be clean. And so when you put that eyes on it, uh, uh, it does certain things. For instance, when you put eyes on something, it has to do to, has the idea of to become like. So for instance, the word, if I have a crystal, and I say someone is turning into a crystal or something turned into a crystal, what do I say? It's being crystal lies. So that eyes have the idea of to become like. Um, also, the eyes have the idea to be a product of. So if uh, you fell victim to my hypnosis, you have been hypnotized. So, you know, it has become a product of. Uh, also, cause to be. If I came from another country, and, you know, I was 14 years old, I came out of the country, and I've been in America for so long, and I started to talk like Americans, I started to live like Americans, I have become Americanized. So it has an idea of to cause to be. Or it has an idea to be treated like. For instance, if I uh, look at Jaji, and, and I think Jaji's the greatest, and I start to uh, emulate my life after Jaji, and do everything <laughs> Jaji do, I've been, I treat her like an idol, I've become idolized. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I begin to idolize. <laughs> and so when the scripture says, Jesus says, sanctify them according to your truth, your word is true. The sanctify means the holy eye. So the idea is to become like holy. The idea is to be a product of holiness. The idea is to cause to be holy. And the idea is to treat yourself and treat others holy. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, holy eyes them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so what does the word of God do? The word of God sanctifies the body. The word of God holy eyes the body. And because of that, we are not of this world. Look at the scripture. How many times he said that? 
We are not of this world. You are not of this world. We are not of this world. Sanctify them with your truth. Holify them with your truth. Your word is true. So the question I would ask is, am I holy eyes? Have I become like holy? Am I a product of holy? Have I called to be holy? And am I treated like or treat others like holy? Because that can only come from the word. The Bible says that the sanctification or the holyizing comes from the truth. And it says thy word is truth. So the question I ask myself and the question I put to you is, does your and my study of the scriptures accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish? That's about to go off. It says the word of God, the purpose of the word of God is to holyize me. So how do I get holyized by the word of God? So the question is, does your study of the word of God do what it's supposed to do? Because if you're not studying the word of God, then there is no truth. If there is no truth, there is no holyizing. If there is no holyizing, then you are carnal, filthy, obscene, impure, vulgar, and dirty. And therefore, Paul said in 2 Timothy, no use for the master. And so the question is, are you being used by God? When the last time you said that God used you? I'm not just talking about preaching. I'm talking about singing. I'm talking about God use you. Are you a good use to the master? Am I a good use to the master? But the question says, that comes when I am holy and I have been sanctified from the word. And I only can get sanctified from the truth of the word. And the truth only comes from studying. So the question is, some of us may have to change our studying habits. You see, just picking up the Bible once a day and saying, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. Uh, Jesus knew they wanted to question him. Jesus said to them, are you asking one question? A little while, you'll not see me yet again, you will see me. Father, thank you for reading the word. Just pray, amen. Done. Did my Bible read for the day? Did it do it first? Did you get holy eyes? That's the question. Because that's what Jesus said. Remember, Jesus is praying because he's about to go. And he says, sanctify them or holy eyes them by your truth. Your word is true. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent in the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by your truth. The word of God should distinguish us. It should separate us from the world. There should be some conflict with us and the world system based on the word of God, based on how I apply the word of God to my life, based on how I live the word of God. I should never compromise the word of God, never water it down, but say what the word says, live how the word says live. Second thing the word of God does is it sanctifies us, it holyizes us. It makes me become holy. It puts me in position so that God can use me. Am I being used by God? Am I being holyized by God? We won't get into this today, but the next part, Jesus goes on to talk about the unity that comes in the body. But even the unity comes back to the word of God. So, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
the world system. We're not supposed to line up with it. We should be in violent disagreement with the world. And as we bring the word of God, we should never compromise the word of God. The word of God should continue to be in violent disagreement with the word. Because that's how souls are saved, by that conflict of the word of God. I read somewhere, uh, somebody said, oh, Irish guy said, you know, five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian life. And some people will never read the first four. Yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and how you live. And some people won't read the first four. So the only gospel they see is how you live. And the question is, can someone read my life because I am living out the word of God and see what God has done for us and want to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Last verse we read, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul is talking, he says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells in body in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and every authority. We have to make sure the body of Christ, and we don't fall for human tradition, for the elemental forces of the world, for entertainment, for amusement, for this world system, but that we continue to follow Christ. And we do that by being sanctified by the word. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, for uh, how your word sanctifies us, how it holyizes us, God. And I pray, God, that I myself, God, will, will study your word and, and, and read your word and, and chop your word up, God, and, and apply it to my life and live a life that's holy and acceptable and pleasing unto you according to your word so that my life can be that conflict, God, so that others will see it and realize, hey, something's wrong. Something's not right. The way I'm going is not right. What do I need to do to be saved, God? I pray that I will always be bold because I know that your gospel is the power of God and the salvation. I pray that I'll never be ashamed of your word and that I will continue to preach and proclaim and live your word to the day I die. Be with us, God, as we leave this place. We love you in Jesus' name, my friend. Amen. Um, testimony. <laughs>